The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Brian Peterson stays with us. The final Nephilim, Nephilim, uh, or sorry, Judgment of the Nephilim.com, Judgment of the Nephilim.com. Uh, Ryan White is our live stream producer, and Carlos Kajina is our technical producer. Check out my live stream channels or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. My Rumble channel is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. The website is strangeplanet.ca. So we are talking uh, a biblical prophecy and uh, the role of the Nephilim and uh, the Antichrist in end times. So we were talking about the um, the apostate rebels, the sons of God, being released from the abyss. This is going to happen right at the midway point of the tribulation after the Antichrist suffers this mortal head wound and is going to convince the masses that he is uh, the, uh, the Messiah with this sort of mock resurrection incidentally um is that going to be that that's going to be seen on live television right in other words uh, everyone's going to be able to witness this does the bible even hint you know at the advent of live television it does i think so and i think that we see that example of that in revelation chapter 11 with the death of the two witnesses so you know god will have these two witnesses who will be preaching uh, for the first three and a half years. And at that turning point, again, at the fifth trumpet, when the Antichrist turns into the beast, the fully satanically energized false Messiah who declares himself as God, he kills the two witnesses. And it says the whole world sees their bodies lying in the streets. And then, of course, they are resurrected three days later and, and, and are taken up to heaven. But it's amazing that, you know, again, you think, you're talking about the Revelation, I believe, was written in circa 96 AD. And yet John is writing that the world will witness and see their bodies to the point that everyone starts sending gifts to each other, celebrating their deaths because they want these preachers of the gospel to go away. And who, and who are the two witnesses? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> so I am I, not uh, dogmatic, but I think that uh, I, I actually I lean towards uh, – Joshua, the high priest in Zerubbabel. Um, but I'm not dogmatic in that question. I think Moses and Elijah, who are often selected as two witnesses, are very uh, likely candidates as well. Uh, sorry. So Joshua and who would, who would the other one be? Uh, Zerubbabel, who is, uh, yeah, the governor. I think there are prophecies that we find in the book of Zachari- Zechariah and Haggai that point to both of them having a role with the temple in the end times. And they're both called olive trees that stand before the Lord, which is a reference to that we see in Revelation to the two witnesses as well, being olive trees and candlesticks, metaphorically speaking, uh, before the Lord. So I find that language consistency very interesting. So I lean towards those two being the two witnesses. Uh, I want to come back, uh, step back for a moment. We'll come back to, you know, Armageddon and, um, Gog and Magog and so forth, but I, I just want to talk about um, 
you talk about types in 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 uh, the final nephilim types the antichrist types or the antichrist type or there are there are christ types uh that are in the the old testament um i'm not sure if melchizedek would be would qualify as a christ type um but there are also the converse there are types of the of antichrists in the um in the old and the new testament um one such is Judas in the New Testament. You talk about Judas as being an antichrist type. Tell me more about that. Well, of course, we know Judas is his common story being the disciple who betrayed Jesus. But when you look at some of the details about his life, you see some sinister connections to the antichrist. First off, in Luke 22, Judas is the only person in the Bible who is possessed by Satan. It says that Satan indwelled him in the moments before he went to go betray Jesus to the, to the Pharisees and the Roman authorities. We look at some of the names that Jesus calls Judas. He calls him in John 17, the son of perdition, a title that the Apostle Paul specifically uses for the Antichrist in 2 in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Jesus also said, referring to the disciples, referring to Judas, he said, have I not chosen you 12, but one of you is a devil? And when we look at the Greek there for that, a devil, diabolos, that is the definitive article. He calls him the devil. Again, it's something only used for Satan. And then the one thing I point out that's not as well known uh, is that in the Old Testament, there are actually prophecies about Judas. In Acts chapter 1, when the disciples are picking a replacement for Judas, because he had killed himself, of course, after he betrayed the Lord, the apostle Peter quotes two prophecies from the Psalms that he says are about Judas. And one in particular, Psalm 109 says, in reference to Judas, set up a wicked man and put Satan at his right hand, referring to Judas. And when you think about the Antichrist, it's really Satan who's at his right hand, giving him his power, his seat, his authority. So there's a real mysterious, sinister connection between Judas and the beast. Interesting. Um, we, we talked about uh, Satan and and uh, his attempt to uh, thwart the arrival of of the seed of the woman in in the in uh, the very beginning in Genesis. Then there is the um, later there is the attempt to uh, insert a false Messiah to prevent Israel from um, basically crying out for or recognizing Jesus when he comes the second time. But in between, of course, there is. The the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and Judas being used to that end by by Satan as an antichrist type, um, but Satan not realizing that that getting Jesus on the cross wasn't the end of it; it's actually a trap. Can you talk exactly. about a little bit about that? Exactly, of course, and you know we see that in the New Testament it says that had they known. <laughs> the truth of God's plan, they would have never crucified him. But yeah, it was all a setup that, you know, here you have Judas. And if you think about, it, again, as a foreshadow, he's presenting himself as a disciple. Think about that when Jesus, even at the, the Last Supper, days before his crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And they had no idea it was Judas. So he was really tricking everyone. He was a deceiver like the Antichrist. And his plan was to attack and kill God. And again, when you look at Revelation 16, Armageddon, that the Antichrist is going to gather the world's armies to literally fight against God, that he believes he can actually fight God and win in combat. 
And so, uh, you know, the parallels and the foreshadows here are just pretty stunning. But I, I was thinking along the lines of no, that 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 uh, God, uh, of course, anticipating this move. I mean, it's like he's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. We've heard that exactly. so many times. But but um, Jesus obviously knew Judas would betray him from the beginning of time. Uh, so he let Ju- Judas, he allowed Judas to betray him because it was God's plan to get Jesus up on that cross. And, and, and so it was, it was Satan actually, that was being falling into this trap. Exactly. It was all, it was all a trap. And, and again, prophesied, right? We look at Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and this is the mystery of prophecy is that it's hard to decipher, but God, it's, it's previewed that he was going to suffer and so Satan, of course, not realizing this, went full bore to try and have the Lord executed. But it was all a setup, for, as you said, from the beginning. The plan was in existence from the foundation of the world, right? And even this, and even in Revelation, we see Jesus referred to as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this plan was in motion before Satan even had a chance to realize what was taking place. Another Antichrist type uh, in the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar. Explain. Sure. Well, you know, we see many parallels here. First, he was the king of Babylon. Uh, You know, the end times capital city of the Antichrist is called Mystery Babylon the Great. Uh, And then we see in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar uh, erects a golden statue of himself that must be worshipped under penalty of death. And again, this is a clear foreshadow and repetition of the image of the beast, which the false prophet will get the world to build, and this image that must be worshipped of the Antichrist under penalty of death. And when you look at the dimensions of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, we see that it was 60 cubits tall, six cubits wide, and six instruments played to signal when it was time to worship him as a god. And of course, this is a an allusion to 666, the number of the beast, the number of the Antichrist in Revelation 13. And uh, I think we see an even greater foreshadow in Daniel 4 when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this tree that's cut down and Daniel tells him the tree is you, you need to repent. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do this and God punishes him by him turning into a literal half-beast, half-human hybrid. He, he says he grows claws, feathers, his hair gets long, and he lives like an animal for seven years. Very similar, again, to the beast of Revelation. The Antichrist is called a beast, but he's a man. He's the number of a man, but he's a beast. Revelation's showing the dual nature of him because he's a hybrid. He's half-fallen angel, half-human, and he rules for seven years. So um, very powerful foreshadows there. Uh, did we miss any other, um, oh, any other Antichrist types? Uh, well, certainly uh, Goliath as well, right? When you ah. even think about the, uh, the, 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 the duel between David and Goliath, you have David, of course, who is the ancestor of the Messiah. Jesus is called the son of David, battling the Nephilim for the fate of Israel. Remember, Goliath said, if I win this battle, you're all my slaves. So it's, again, this is a true another preview and type we see of the war between Christ and Antichrist. The Antichrist wants to enslave Israel to prevent Christ's return. And of course, uh, how is Goliath killed? With a mortal wound to the head, one shot to the head, and he, he dies like the Antichrist as well. Fascinating. Oh, I, that's true. I never I th- never thought of that, that uh, had that, that uh, battle between David and Goliath 
gone south, had gone the other way, since Christ uh, comes through the line of David, that would have forced that would have forestalled the, the arrival of Christ because the line of David would have ended right there and then. Exactly. All right. So um, going to take some questions from the uh, the YouTube live chat. So Ryan White, if you could start curating those for me. And uh, those of you in the YouTube live chat, if you just put uh, question at the beginning of your comment, that that makes it easier for Ryan to to, uh, to spot those, grab them, and then put them into the uh, uh, into the comments here for me. And uh, YY Anella asks, uh, where did the post flood giants come from? How did they survive the flood, Ryan? Sure. So I think the uh, I believe the Nephilim DNA passed through on the ark, in particular through the wife of Ham. And what I demonstrate is that when you look at all the post-Diluvian giants, they can all be traced back to one person, Canaan, who of course was the son of Ham. And that they, they, all the the seven nations that were listed in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy for the Israelites to conquer, the Girgashites, the Hivites, they're all descendants of Canaan. So I believe that's how uh, the Nephilim DNA survived. Ah, Okay, Uh, let's see. What do we have next? Uh, Chuck asks, what is the truth about the Nephilim in four corner in the four corner area of the United States? I'm not sure what Chuck means. Does that make any sense? The four corner that would be Colorado, but Utah. Not sure what the four corners are exactly, but what the truth about the Nephilim in the four corner area of the United States that I'm not um, completely sure about. I am familiar with some of the mounds. That are, so I know they were found in Ohio. That's not a four-corner state, obviously. But I know there is some uh, there's some thought about a presence of Nephilim in, Amer- in North America, the continent, at some time. But that particular area I'm not as familiar with. Someone had mentioned um, – I'm trying to remember who on this program years ago. And that was that um, Mount Hermon uh, is on the same – Latitude. If you draw a line um, west, you know, from Mount Hermon, where the fallen angels first gathered, all the way over to Roswell, New Mexico, the uh, the site of the uh, infamous UFO crash in 1947, it's it's on the same exact degree latitude. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. I have heard that, and and I, and you know, I, I think scripture supports. Uh, certain locations having supernatural properties. And so uh, the area I look to the most, I think, in Scripture, though, is the Jordan River. I think the Jordan River, I actually call the Jordan River the Area 51 of the Bible. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, because there, there's so many supernatural instances, uh, incidents that take place there. So you can look at uh, the the Israelites, of course, crossed over the Jordan River. It parted like the Red Sea did. Uh, you have Elijah, who was fed supernaturally by ravens at the Jordan River. He was raptured to heaven when he was went up to heaven in the chariots of fire. That was at the Jordan River. Uh, Naaman, the Syrian uh, war war commander, he was healed of leprosy by dipping himself in the Jordan River seven times. And then I also point to the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, which, of course, took place at the Jordan River. And at the time of the baptism, you have... The heaven opening, again, a portal, the, the heavenly dimension opened. God the Father spoke from heaven. The Holy Spirit descended as a dove 
uh, and of course came down on the Lord Jesus Christ and God was able and people could audibly hear God the Father speaking from heaven. So you had it again, the dimensions open to each other. And even the etymology of the name Jordan actually means the place of their descent, the place of their going down. So I believe that was a place of angelic arrival on earth in, uh, in the ancient world. Oh, fascinating. I didn't know that. All right. Renee Image asks, is there a connection between RH negative or O negative blood and Nephilim like they say? So RH is, I don't think it's an actual blood type. It's a protein marker that a very small percentage of people have. And some have made the the connection that that, that RH marker somehow connected to the uh, the bloodline of the Nephilim. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I get this. I get this question very, very often, and I, in my research, have not seen any connection. And I agree with you; it's not an actual blood type. It is a protein marker, and I, I, between that and the the Nephilim genetic, genetics or Nephilim seed, um, at, at, at all. So I, I don't make that same uh, connection or correlation. Well, since they came back, the the um, uh, the, the Nephilim that is, um, is it. Do we all have Nephilim blood in us, likely? Uh, I don't know if we all do. I think there could be traces of it, certainly uh, in the Middle East, <laughs> certainly, um, since they were predominantly in the land of Canaan. Uh, and I, But I think now in modern times, I think most of what I see in terms of the return is more of the research we see into the human genome and genetic manipulation, CRISPR, gen- uh, designer babies. I think that is where we see the Nephilim, because I think it's the spirits that are inspiring the research and money being put into this type of experimentation to basically play God. I think, cause I believe I believe the demons are the spirits of the dead Nephilim giants. So I believe that's where they're having their biggest impact in modern times right now. Uh, all right. Um, we'll get back to the YouTube live stream a little bit later, but we'll keep, uh, keep those questions coming, please. And uh, also the phone lines, 416-360. 0740. That's in the greater Toronto area. 416-0740 and toll free from, well, just about anywhere. 866-740-4740. 866-740-4740. So getting back to um, Antichrist types and so forth in the, in the Bible, a name that pops up quite a bit, the Assyrian, who is the Assyrian. We'll just spend about two minutes and then we'll break and come back and continue. Tell me a little bit about the Assyrian. Sure. The Assyrian, uh, I believe, was the fallen angel who, one, led the Genesis 6 rebellion in Scripture and was punished, but also has been, uh, is also the title of the Antichrist in the Old Testament. It's the most commonly used title. And so I believe that this is the, this fallen angel was the preeminent fallen angel in the days of Noah. And Ezekiel 31, I think, describes his rise, his fall, his punishment by the flood, dragged to the abyss. But I believe that he will return and indwell the body of the Antichrist at that midpoint when the abyss is open. At the time of his resurrection, he will then be possessed by this spirit, which in Revelation 9 uh, is referred to as Apollyon or Abaddon, that that will be the spirit. The king of the bottomless pit is this angel, and he indwells the Antichrist. So he's both a hybrid as well as being possessed by this spirit of Apollyon and you know, seeks to take over the world as the Antichrist beast. So um, when we come back, I want to talk about 
there's a particular uh, chapter in the Bible that's it's rather confusing that with regards to the uh, the Antichrist. It says something to the effect, "He that was, that is not, but is." I mean, <laughs> try to follow that. I mean, the, the double <laughs> negatives and "He that was, that is not, but is." Uh, that sounds like uh, you know a riddle from Batman or something. But uh, um, Ryan, you'll uh, you'll sort that out for us, and then we'll talk about. Um, more of the uh, the Antichrist, the different, uh, I guess, incarnations of the Antichrist. Ryan Peterson stays with us. The books are Judgment of the Nephilim and the brand new one, The Final Nephilim. And uh, there's also a, um, a one-hour documentary that accompanies the book, uh, The Final Nephilim. And you can uh, buy a DVD of that at judgmentofthenephilim.com. Judgmentofthenephilim.com. That's J-U-D-G-M. E-N-T, of the Nephilim, judgmentofthenephilim.com. Stay with us, and we'll get some more of your questions in the live chat as well. Don't go away. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon-60 or C60, for my good friends at c60evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle, C60, from c60evo.com slash richard hyphen serrett. c60evo.com slash richard hyphen serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. Self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. He that was, that is not, but is. Help us understand that, Ryan. Revelation 17 uh, it has, that's probably one of the most complex prophecies in the Bible. And in this passage, an angel that's been basically describing the events that John the Revelator is seeing in heaven says he's going to explain the seven-headed beast that represents the Antichrist. So I'm going to explain to you 
what these seven heads are. And he says there are seven kings, five that were, one is. And says that one is to come. It's a continuous short space of time and that the Antichrist is the eighth or uh, of these kings. And so that description of him being the one who was and is not and yet is shows, again, the converse of Jesus Christ, where Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come again, showing Jesus is eternal, his eternality and existing in all times simultaneously. The Antichrist has existed already. But died, but will come back again. And there are set. And so I believe that the, that what Scripture is explaining, Revelation 17, is that there have been seven. There will be seven incarnations of the Antichrist of the Spirit before you get to the final, the Antichrist we see in Revelation 13. Okay, so who were the seven then? Let's begin at the beginning. Who were? The, who was the first Antichrist? Sure. So I start with Nimrod, uh, who, of course, we see who led the Tower of Babel, trying to unite the world in one world government, one world religion, trying to re- bring back the days of Noah, reach heaven, you know, and, uh, of course, incurred God having to come down personally to stop him. So I, I identify him as the first king. I then look to uh, the Pharaoh of the Exodus as the second king. If you see the Antichrist traits there, um, you know, he wanted to destroy the Messiah. He said, you know, to execute all the Hebrew babies under the age of two and, of course, tried to destroy Israel as a nation altogether. So I think he has lots of clear Antichrist foreshadows. Uh, number three is Nebuchadnezzar, who we've discussed already in detail. And then for uh, number four, I actually look at Sennacherib, who isn't often discussed, but has a number of parallels to the Antichrist. Not only did he try to destroy, um, is he conquered the Northern Kingdom, he tried to destroy the Southern Kingdom, but he actually offered the Southern Kingdom a new promised land. He said, if you just serve me, I will take you to a new promised land. So he tried to, mm-hmm. to give, stand in the role of God to the Israelites. And his his vizier his or his vice regent um, really was very similar to the false prophet. He said to try to, he told them, don't trust God. Don't believe what God says. Trust in Sennacherib. So he's number four for me. Uh, number five is uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Of course, was of the Seleucid Empire who committed the first abomination of desolation. He sacrificed a pig in the altar uh, of God uh, to to Zeus, um, and was was a, a a severe persecutor of the Israelites. And Jesus even references the abomination of desolation, what he did um, in the way he uh, it was so brutal to the Israelites in prophesying the future abomination of desolation. And then number six. You know, John was told that one is. So that would be the leader who was alive during the time of the book of Revelation, which I believe was 96 AD. And that would be Emperor Domitian, who also uh, proclaimed himself to be a god, like Antiochus Epiphanes, to claim himself. He gave himself the name Epiphanes, which meant God manifest. So he not only sacrificed in the temple, he proclaimed himself to be God and demanded worship. Domitian did the same thing. He Every address uh, letter had to be addressed to him as being a god, as being a deity. And he also not only persecuted the Jews, he persecuted the church and actually had the record of history says that he actually executed the relatives of the apostle James and the apostle John, who, of course, were half brothers to Jesus to try and wipe out any connection to the messianic lineage whatsoever. And uh, Domitian, uh, you point this out in your documentary, he, he, the Roman emperor Domitian, his brother was his predecessor as emperor. Titus was the one that leveled the second temple in 70 AD. Exactly. Yes. He destroyed Titus Vespasian, destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And Domitian honored him by making the Ark de Triumph, 
which of course is been replicated all throughout the world. It's one of the most replicated memorials. It's actually a dedication to the destruction of Jerusalem. So again, you see these themes of destroying Jerusalem, uh, eliminating the Messianic bloodline, desecrating the temple. Uh, this is a consistent repetition throughout all these seven. I call them mystery kings throughout biblical history and before we get to the Antichrist. I just want to pick up on something. I want to go back to Nimrod for a moment. And the Tower of Babel and bringing all of the uh, – this was like the world's first empire and the world's first emperor. The Tower of Babel, was there not some sort of technology uh, associated with the Tower of Babel that allowed everyone to speak one, one tongue? Yeah, well, I believe that I believe there is definitely technology, uh, advanced technology involved with the construction. But also, I think that there was a supernatural aspect to it. I believe they were trying to access the spiritual dimension. That when that when Nimrod said, "Let's make a tower that can reach unto heaven," that it wasn't just in its height that it was going to go up to the sky, but that it was going to be able to actually penetrate and enter into the spiritual realm. And the thing that I think is the most stunning thing about the Tower of Babel is that God says that if they had completed the tower, that there is nothing that which they imagined which would be withheld from them. They could that literally they'd be able to achieve anything. So there is some serious mystery knowledge that was on the verge of being unlocked by that tower's construction. Something that you point out in the documentary, I did not know, and that the the the, the, the tower was covered in pitch. Explain why. Sure. So they so when it was constructed, they were specifically the builders were specifically told to put cover in pitch and tar, bitumen, the same substance that that Noah used to seal up the ark. It's a sealant to make it waterproof. So they were already anticipating that if God was going to flood the earth again, the tower would not be destroyed because they used the same type of sealant to keep it watertight so it wouldn't be destroyed again. So they had, again, a very serious anti-god anti-christ agenda yeah they weren't paying attention though because god said he wouldn't he wouldn't destroy the world by uh by a flood again so exactly notes in school they weren't (laughs) (laughs) precisely okay so uh, nimrod pharaoh nebuchadnezzar sennacherib who was in fact uh, assyrian king of assyria uh antiochus epiphanes uh domidian that's six so who are the the next two sure so the seventh uh who john was told uh, it was to come and would continue a short space. I believe that seventh is Gog of the Gog-Magog coalition and that war that we see described in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And I know that uh, obviously this is a battle to come, and he's often described as a political leader. But I think that this is going to be, when you look at the description of Gog, one, again, he is trying to attack Israel. Again, Antichrist agenda to attack Israel, like Nebuchadnezzar, like Goliath, like all these predecessors. But also there's an interesting detail where God says about Gog, the Lord says in the in the uh, King James Version, are you the one I've spoken of by my servants, the prophets? In the Septuagint, it says, you are the one I have spoken of by my servants, the prophets. So this has to be a being who multiple prophets have discussed in the Bible. So to me, that takes people like Vladimir Putin off the board or other leaders like that, um, because they were obviously are not being prophesied in the Old Testament. But when you look at the, this, this spirit of the Assyrian that keeps replicating and, and going and incarnating throughout history, he has been spoken of. And so I think God will be indwelled again by this spirit of the Assyrian and be the seventh mystery king. So Gog would be a supernatural being. 
Exactly. And if you look again, he, he that, the, if you look at the description of the battle, it's a fairly short battle. He he goes on the march with this coalition and God kind of destroys him immediately. So he only, you know, so it kind of fulfills Revelation 17 that he just continues for a short time and then he's taken out. This gap of several thousand years, really, 2000 years um, between Domitian, the Roman emperor, who was the, the sixth Antichrist, and then the time between Domitian and Gog, that is referring to that uh, that strange passage in in Revelation where it says, "He that was, that is not." So that that gap of two thousand years—that's the period that the Antichrist was not. Precisely, exactly, and again, showing that he is not the real Christ. He's not the real Messiah because he will be dead for a long, for two millennia now and, and counting. So yes, I believe that, and he will, but he will come back one final time. Is uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog the same? We always say Gog and Magog, but it should be Gog of Magog, right? Correct. Yes. So the Battle of Gog of Magog, is that the same as the Battle of Armageddon or is it a separate battle? I believe it's a separate battle. So I actually believe it's two battles. I believe that Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39 are describing two battles, but in reverse order. I believe that chapter 38 is describing the battle we see in Revelation chapter 20 at the end of the millennium where the devil makes one final strike and says he gathers the nations, the armies in the four corners of the world and says Gog, Magog specifically and launches this attack. And I believe the, the reason why we see that is because in Ezekiel 38, the details were given. It says that Israel is dwelling without walls. It has no security. There is no fences, no walls. It's, it's at peace. And that will only take place during the millennium, where Ezekiel 39 is describing what I believe is the first battle of Gog Magog, which will start right before the seven year tribulation. It's almost like a false Armageddon where, again, you have this coalition that will try to attack Israel before the great tribulation begins and they are conquered supernaturally by God. And it, I would not be surprised if the Antichrist tries to take credit for the, the, the victory over the first Gog Magog uh, attack on Israel. And that propels him to be his role of Israel's protector. We'll take another time out, come back, and we'll get to some more questions from the live stream for Ryan Peterson, the final Nephilim. Stay with us. It's time to try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I can't get enough of my pomegranate super tea. I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight, enough to last me the entire week. And every morning I have a 16-ounce glass of this amazing GMO non-caffeinated herbal tea. It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse every day. I'm never gassy or bloated, and good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com. Go to getthetea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED, and all your orders ship for free. All of them. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com. Have you subscribed to my newsletter yet? It's fast, easy, and absolutely free. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then click on subscribe. All I need is your email address, and that's it. Then, once a month, you'll receive my newsletter, Inner Sanctum, in your email inbox. 
The Inner Sanctum contains a monthly brief, a column of my analysis of the news and opinions. There's a This Month in UFO or Conspiracy History, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of this radio program, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, a spotlight on a previous guest, and much more. Join the Strange Planet community by signing up for your free subscription to Inner Sanctum. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on subscribe. It's a strange planet. Read all about it. Let's go to the live stream. And uh, let's see. Sigma6 asks, Ryan, do you have any thoughts on the alien abduction phenomena, especially when it comes to human-alien hybrids? Yes, definitely. And I think that the uh, the alien phenomenon just in general, uh, I believe it's a, a demon, a, de- a demon, demonological phenomenon that it's a spiritual encounter that they're having. But these spirits are just masquerading as um, you as aliens from another planet. They're presenting themselves that way. But I do believe there's validity to that. And again, when you think about the demons being the spirits of the deceased, of the deceased Nephilim, many times, many of the accounts from alien abductions deal with genetics, deal with sexual organs, examining, probing, trying to uh, impregnate. And things, again, take us back to Genesis 6. And Daniel, of course, the, the prophecy of Daniel 2, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. That's a prophecy of the end times. So I believe that all this is kind of laying the groundwork for what we're going to see in full in the Great Tribulation. Uh, but this time around, this alien or fallen angel-human hybrid system uh, or program is not producing giants, as far as we know. Right, right. I, I, and I think that they're, you know these, these efforts are not producing giants uh, at, at present. But what, what, what may come in the, in the Great Tribulation remains to be seen. But no, at present, there, there are not giants being produced out of this kind of uh, genetic experimentation taking place during in the abduction scenario and, and what would be the purpose this time if if we look at the alien abduction phenomenon as again a return to the days of noah fallen angels commingling with the daughters of men uh, although sometimes they take men uh, as well what would be the purpose are they if they're are they trying to create an army for the antichrist sure i think it's twofold i think certainly an army because we know that the antichrist is going to have a very large army to fight against uh, the Lord with. Um, But also it goes again back to the days of Noah of corrupting uh, human genetics. And again, if Israel can't be just deceived into worshiping the Antichrist as God, the devil is going to try again to corrupt them. And I believe the, 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 the major attack on genetics is going to be through the mark of the beast, which I believe will have a genetic component as well. And if you think about what the Antichrist is going to, how he's going to present himself again, once he comes back from the dead and says, I have overcome death and people see him as God, he can offer the mark of the beast and say, hey, take this mark and not only will help you, will allow you to buy and sell, but also it can turn you, it can give you my power Can you can overcome death as well. And I believe that's the genetic component. And the interesting thing we see is in Revelation 9, at that time, it says that men shall seek death, but death shall shall flee from them. So there's going to be a time of immortality on earth where no one is able to die. Even if they try to die, death is going to run from them. And I believe that's because they take the mark at the moment they receive immortality. God is going to punish them so harshly they're going to wish they were dead. That sounds a little bit like 
when you talk about immortality, like the transhumanist movement. Exactly. And I think that's another thing we see uh, today in terms of the, 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 the ground being set. You know, we see what the the billionaire tech moguls, whether it be the heads of Google or Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, Google, all these companies are investing billions of dollars into life extension technology, into seeking and trying to achieve through technology immortality. And so this is a real effort underway. And so just imagine years from now when the technology is getting closer, but then you have the fallen angels arriving and they keep presenting themselves as aliens. You have the Antichrist literally coming back from the dead. The world is being prepped to for this possibility to see immortality as something that we can really achieve on our own. There's a, a gentleman, I've, I've seen his uh, clips on YouTube, and I've I played them on my, one of my other uh, shows. His name escapes me, but he is often referred to as one of Klaus Schwab's top advisors. And he delivers some of the most chilling speeches. He, he's not speaking about economics and you know reinventing capitalism and the Great Reset, but he is talking about things like proudly proclaiming that we have hacked the human being. And he's referring to DNA. He's also said some other very chilling things about how the, the soul does not exist. And, and, uh, geez, I think that that guy could be a candidate for, uh, the next antichrist. Have you, are you familiar with this? Have you seen this person on YouTube? Uh, I'm not sure who you're referring to, but certainly I've heard those ideas. Uh, certainly the ideas of hacking the, the, the human, the human genome and becoming homo novus 2.0, and all these ideas, certainly these transhumanist ideas, I've heard many, many times. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy, this is coming right out of the World Economic Forum. Uh, let's go back to the YouTube live chat. Um, Helena M. asks, your thoughts on the Shemitah year 5782, any significance to that? Uh, the Shemitah year, that would be uh, like the, the, is that the, like the Jubilee years? It's kind of like the Jubilee uh, cycle. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm familiar with it. I've heard Jonathan Khan speak on the Shemitah year, but I'm not as familiar with the significance of that particular year. So I, I can't really opine on that one. All right. We'll uh, take one final time out. Come back with Ryan Peterson, the final Nephilim and judgment of the Judgment of the Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. It's uh, Dr. Yuval Noah Harari is uh, the gentleman, transhumanist and top advisor to Klaus Schwab and the uh, the World Economic Forum, who, who talks about now we have the technology to uh, to hack into the human brain and to hack our DNA, which sounds to me like you say make us less human, and that certainly sounds like at least part of the Antichrist system. Let's go back to the uh, the live chat here. Renee Image asks, Did God, after destroying the Tower of Babel, that he would not destroy anything humans build anymore to start start all over again. In other words, we are on our own and will be suffering. Not sure if I understand that question. Did that make any sense, Ryan? Yeah, it sounds like it might be something like a similar kind of uh, pledge, like after the flood. I, I don't see that. I know certainly God confused the languages. We weren't going to be able to to assemble as one nation, one just global government anymore. But you know, when you look at things like the tabernacle. 
the temple of God, those are divinely the blueprints for those structures came directly from God. So uh, and even the millennial temple that's described in Ezekiel chapters 41 to 48, which is yet to be built. Clearly, God is still involved in helping us construct things for his uh, glory. Ulnar Lysurgus asks, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln mentions giants near Niagara Falls. Well, I know what he's referring to when uh, Abraham Lincoln, before he was president, he was touring New York State in the 1850s, I think. He was actually campaigning for another politician, and he mentioned how beautiful the Niagara Falls were and how they were there, you know, thousands of years before. And then he mentioned something about giant bones inside these earthen mounds. So some people have suggested he was referring to giants, actual giants. Others have said, no, he was referring to, you know, dinosaur bones or mastodon bones or something. I'm not sure. Uh, what do you make of that that, that comment by Lincoln? Yeah, I, I can't, uh, you know, I, I think I lean towards it being giants. And, and the, that, that's the amazing thing is that one, you can see that even in American media, there are articles from the 19th century that talk about skeletons that were found that were giant human skeletons. Uh, in my books, I quote uh, some of the ancient historians who have no skin in the game, who weren't Christians, who were not Jewish, who were Roman historians, some of the most celebrated historians who write and say that they were bones of Nephilim on display in different areas of the Roman Empire. So I think that uh, there is there is some credibility to the presence of giants in antiquity in North America, and particularly, as you mentioned, the mounds that we see in Ohio. Toby McBallarina asks, was Nimrod a Nephilim? In the last days, it will be like the days of Noah. Is that including Nimrod post-flood or only pre-flood? Great question. So there's an interesting description of Nimrod where it says he became a mighty one in the earth, a mighty hunter. In the Septuagint uh, version of the Old Testament, it says, which of course is the oldest existing version of the Old Testament, it says that he became a giant. So uh, it's very mysterious as if he went through a process or something, a cult, maybe like a ritual that turned him into a giant. It's, I think it's I think it's very possible because certainly he displayed a lot of the attributes that we see with the Nephilim. In fact, Matthew Henry, one of the most, who has one of the most famous Bible commentaries, Matthew Henry's commentary, he actually says that Nimrod had the spirit of the fallen angels of Genesis 6 within him. So uh, certainly I think there's a uh, some some theologians who would agree with that notion as well. What about some of the other bloody dictators of the last century? Hitler, Mao, Saddam Hussein. Some have said that they are antichrist types. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I would agree with that. So uh, while they may not be one of the seven that are described in Revelation 17, the New Testament tells us uh, that there are many antichrists in the world, small a antichrist, and the spirit of the antichrist is already at work. And so, of course, you know, when you look at the the atrocious leaders you just mentioned and how malicious they were, only the devil could inspire such evil or spirit of antichrist. And so. I agree that that you will have even even now you will have in modern times uh, Antichrist foreshadows who are not the Antichrist, but certainly have that same spirit uh, dominating them. So how is the Battle of Armageddon going to play out, uh, Ryan? In the, in your documentary, The Final Nephilim, I mean, you've got it all mapped out. You know, the exact locations, the towns that are involved, the distance between the two, one coming from the, I guess, Gog and his tribes and, and allies coming, sweeping down from the north and uh, Jesus coming from the south. I know it's difficult to explain that map on radio, but just kind of 
give us a mental picture if you could. Sure. So so first off is to understand that the battle of Armageddon is actually a series of battles. And what what we find from scripture is that at the time that what's 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 taking place at Megiddo is a gathering of forces. That's where the Antichrist is going to gather his forces. And when you look in Isaiah chapter 10, there's an amazing chronology that tells you the specific towns that the Antichrist is going to attack and conquer in route to Jerusalem. And these these towns make a a south by southeast line from Megiddo to Jerusalem. At the same time, when Jesus is is coming to fight the Battle of Armageddon, he's not coming directly to Israel. He's first going to Edom. And why is that? Because there's a prophecy that we see in Ezekiel that the Israelites, the believing remnant, will be will be protected in the wilderness of Edom for that second three and a half years. And so we see a vision of this in Revelation chapter 12, where it says the woman uh, is taken uh, on eagle's wings to the wilderness for three and a half years to escape the dragon. So, so this is going to be a repeat of the Exodus. The Israelites are going to be exactly where they were wandering during the Exodus before Jesus led them to the promised land. So Jesus will come and get them in Edom and battle the enemy forces on the way to the final battle, which takes place at Jerusalem in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And this is why you see, he says that that when Christ comes, that he has his garment is stained with blood. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that says he's coming with, again, with who is this? Who is this coming from Edom? And it said with blood stained garments, this is Christ fighting, leading the fight to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, where the final battle takes place between Christ and Antichrist at the Mount of Olives. And so in terms of the geography, again, we see this prophecy of the blood from the final battle, it says that the blood flows for uh, uh, 1,600 furlongs, which is 183 miles, which is the exact distance from Edom to Megiddo. So Christ is going to come to Jerusalem, the battle of Jerusalem, which is where the final fight between Christ and Antichrist happens. He will then conquer the Antichrist in the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and continue to defeat his forces all the way to Megiddo. So the blood will stretch that long distance that's prophesied in the book of Revelation. So Jesus and and uh, an army of angels. Yes. Will, any, will there be any human combatants involved? There will. And so what will take place is that there will still be some remnant of Jewish people living in Jerusalem. And it says that Judah in the book of Zechariah, that Judah will take up arms and fight at Armageddon. And in fact, what's amazing is you have this also this amazing prophecy of Jesus says that when his feet touched the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, is adjacent to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, that the mountain will split in two and that the Israelites who are fighting at Jerusalem will flee in between the split mountains. So this is, again, is a repetition of the parting of the Red Sea. It's at that point that the Antichrist will pursue them and be killed by Christ, by the spirit of his mouth, by the brightness of his coming, just like Pharaoh was defeated when he tried to follow the Israelites through the parted Red Sea in the book of Exodus. There's that repetition again. Exactly. Uh, so the end is the beginning. The beginning is the end. It all is a cycle. So Christ and his army of angels are going to make pretty short work. It's going to be a fairly short battle, is it? it exactly. The Antichrist will be no match. In fact, the, the, the literal brightness, the divine light of Christ and the spirit from his mouth alone will destroy the Antichrist. And then what happens to the Antichrist? Is he is he like 
more, will he? Will his ultimate punishment be actual physical death, or will he just be imprisoned? Yeah, he will be cast into the lake of fire with the false prophet. They're going to be cast alive. So he'll be killed and brought back to life to be cast into the lake of fire alive to be punished forever. And he's gone forever. But there's something interesting that I think also lends to the fact that he is a Nephilim, is that Satan, when Satan is captured at Armageddon, he is locked in a chain and thrown into the abyss. The exact same punishment the Genesis 6 rebel angels had to suffer for fornicating and fathering the Nephilim. Satan, finally, because he has his Nephilim in the end times, the Antichrist, he also has to serve the exact same punishment the Genesis 6 rebel angels served thousands of years ago in the days of Noah. And then, of course, we have a thousand years of peace, Christ ruling from Jerusalem, where mankind will live hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Not in, We won't be immortal, but we'll live for hundreds of years. Exactly. It's amazing. It's it's really, again, you see that we see that it's going to be like the days of Noah in the antediluvian era. You see the genealogies where we're told that in the in the during this millennium, this thousand years when Christ reigns on earth says that, uh, you know, a man who dies at 100 will be cursed. So we'll see the lifespans go back to men and and women living for centuries. There will also be peace uh, on earth. There will be no more war. The animals will be at peace with humanity. He says that that's this is the time where a child, a baby can sit near a snake or sit near a lion and they will just dwell peaceful. They're no longer carnivorous animals. So Christ is really restoring things to an Edenic level. So, again, humans will die, but they're going to live much, much longer lifespans as it was in the days of Noah. Uh, Ryan, thanks for hanging out these last two hours. I learned a lot. Richard, thank you so much for having me. This is a great time. Ryan Peterson. The Final Nephilim and Judgment of the Nephilim, judgmentofthenephilim.com. If you're a fan of this radio program and the Strange Planet podcast, why not show it off by wearing Strange Planet apparel or drinking from a Strange Planet mug? Check out all the great Strange Planet merch in my Strange Planet shop. Just go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on Shop in the menu. There's a huge selection of men's and women's t-shirts. You like crop circles or the Mayan calendar? Gotcha covered. Are you into the Anunnaki? Wait till you see these designs. My favorite right now, lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. And one of our best sellers right now, Truth Gets You Crucified on the front and a passage from Matthew chapter 23 on the back. So many great t-shirt designs, I don't know where to begin. There's women's leggings and tote bags and of course, mugs. Great gifts for family and friends who listen and love this show. My Strange Planet shop. Visit today and often. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and check it out.